Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 24 of The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. Small Roman numeral three. It is the way of God to work by contraries, to turn the greatest evil into the greatest good. To grant great good after great evil is one thing, and to turn great evil into the greatest good is another. And yet, that is God's way. The greatest good that God intends for his people, he many times works out of the greatest evil. The greatest light is brought out of the greatest darkness. I remember Luther has a striking expression for this. He says, it is the way of God. He humbles that he might exalt. He kills that he might make alive. He confounds that he might glorify. This is the way of God, he says, but everyone does not understand it. This is the art of arts and the science of sciences, the knowledge of knowledges, to understand this, that God, when he will bring life, brings it out of death. He brings joy out of sorrow, and he brings prosperity out of adversity, yea, and many times brings grace out of sin, that is, makes use of sin to work furtherance of grace. It is the way of God to bring all good out of evil, not only to overcome the evil, but to make the evil work toward the good. Now, when the soul comes to understand this, it will take away our murmuring and bring contentment into our spirits. But I fear there are but few who understand it aright. Perhaps they read of such things and hear such things in a sermon but they are not instructed in this by Jesus Christ, that this is the way of God, to bring the greatest good out of the greatest evil. Chapter 7. The Excellence of Contentment. Having concluded our study of the lessons we are to learn, we come to the next subdivision, which is, the excellence of this grace of contentment. There is indeed a great deal of excellence in contentment. That is, as it were, another lesson for us to learn. The apostle says, I have learned, as if he should say, Blessed be God for this. Oh, it is a mercy of God to me that I have learned this lesson. I find so much good in this contentment that I would not for a world be without it. I have learned it, he says. Now, even the heathen philosophers had a sight of the great excellence that is in contentment. I remember reading of Antisthenes, who desired of his gods, speaking after the heathenish way, Nothing in this world to make his life happy but contentment. And if he might have anything that he would desire to make his life happy, he would ask of them that he might have the spirit of Socrates to be able to bear any wrong 
any injuries that he met with, and to continue in a quiet temper of spirit, whatsoever befell him. For that was the temper of Socrates. Whatever befell him, he continued the same man. Whatever cross befell him, however great, nobody could perceive any alteration of his spirit. This a heathen attained by the strength of nature and a common work of the spirit. Now Antisthenes saw such an excellence in this spirit that as Solomon, when God said to him, What shall I give thee? asked of him wisdom. So he said, If the gods should put it to me to know what I would have, I would desire this thing, that I might have the spirit of Socrates. He saw what a great excellence there was in this, and certainly a Christian may see an abundance of excellence in it. I shall labor to set it out to you in this chapter that you might be in love with this grace of contentment. Number one, by contentment we come to give God the worship that is due to him. It is a special part of the divine worship that we owe to God to be content in a Christian way, as has been shown to you. I say, it is a special part of the divine worship that the creature owes to the infinite creator in that I tender the respect that is due from me to the creator. The word that the Greeks have that signifies to worship is the same as to come and crouch before someone, as if a dog should come crouching to you and be willing to lie down at your feet. So the creature, in the apprehension of its own baseness and the infinite excellence that is in God above it, when it comes to worship God, comes and crouches to this God and lies down at the feet of God. Then the creature worships God. When you see a dog come crouching to you, and by holding your hand over him, you can make him lie down at your feet. Then consider, thus should you do before the Lord. You should come crouching to him and lie down at his feet, even on your backs or bellies, to lie down in the dust before him, so as to be willing that he should do with you what he will. Just as sometimes you may turn a dog this way or that way, up and down with your hand, and there he lies before you, according to your showing him with your hand. So when the creature shall come and lie down thus before the Lord, then a creature worships God and tenders the worship that is due to him. Now in what disposition of heart do we thus crouch to God more than we have this state of contentment? in all the conditions that God disposes us to. This is crouching to God's disposal, to be like the poor woman of Canaan, who, when Christ said, it is not fit to give children's meat to dogs, said, the dogs have crumbs. I am a dog, I confess, but let me have only a crumb. And so when the soul shall be in such a disposition as to lie down and say, Lord, I am but as a dog, yet let me have a crumb. Then it highly honors God. It may be that some of you have not your table spread as others have, 
but God gives you crumbs. Now, says the poor woman, dogs have crumbs, and when you can find your hearts thus submitting to God to be but as a dog and can be contented and bless God for any crumb, I say this is a great worship of God. You worship God more by this than when you come to hear a sermon or spend half an hour or an hour in prayer or when you come to receive a sacrament. These are the acts of God's worship, but they are only external acts of worship to hear and pray and receive sacraments. But this is the soul's worship to subject itself thus to God. You who often will worship God by hearing and praying and receiving sacraments, and yet afterwards will be forward and discontented. Know that God does not regard such worship. He will have the soul's worship in the subjecting of the soul unto God. Note this, I beseech you, in active obedience we worship God by doing what pleases God, but by passive obedience we do as well worship God by being pleased with what God does. Now when I perform a duty, I worship God. I do what pleases God. Why should I not as well worship God when I am pleased with what God does? As it was said of Christ's obedience, Christ was active in his passive obedience and passive in his active obedience. So, the saints are passive in their active obedience they are first passive in the reception of grace, and then active. And when they come to passive obedience, they are active. They put forth grace in active obedience. When they perform actions to God, then the soul says, Oh, that I could do what pleases God. When they come to suffer any cross, Oh, that what God does might please me. I labor to do what pleases God, and I labor that what God does shall please me. Here is a Christian, indeed, who shall endeavor both these. It is but one side of a Christian to endeavor to do what pleases God. You must as well endeavor to be pleased with what God does, and so you will come to be a complete Christian when you can do both, and that is the first thing in the excellence of this grace of contentment. Roman numeral two, in contentment, there is much exercise of grace. There is much strength of grace. Yea, there is much beauty of grace. In contentment, there is much exercise of grace, strength of grace, and beauty of grace. I put these all together. This concludes episode 24 of Jeremiah Burroughs, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment.